Hi, I'm Chaim Klein, and this is The Right Jew. Today I'll be talking about climate change. My thoughts on climate change are not based particularly on science, because the reality is that I don't know enough about science to be able to evaluate the conflicting claims of the two groups. Uh, To say that I can pick one over the other uh, would be ludicrous, and my argument is probably that most people who take sides on the climate change issue don't actually know the science, but rather parrot phrases like, well, you know, it's happening faster than ever did before, or some kind of generalities, which are not, I don't think are really empirically verifiable. For example, last several, since the creation of Earth, there have been many ice ages. Uh, those ice ages came to a conclusion. And um, the question that I'm fond of asking is, how did the ice age end in the absence of human activity to impact the environment? So I'm told that uh, by studying tree rings and other natural phenomena, one can see that today's climate change is proceeding at a much rapider pace than previous climate changes. Whether that's true or not, again, I'm not qualified to judge, but I'm not certain that the people who make all these conclusions are basing themselves on actual evidence or circumstantial evidence, and whether or not that evidence is actually being um, is filtered or it's not filtered with a certain point of view. I like to point out that both that both scientists who argue that there is uh, man-made cli- uh, climate change and that uh, there is no man-made climate change are both being paid by somebody. So the argument that it's in the interests of scientists to say that there is no uh, anthropic climate change, man-made climate change, uh, because these people are supported by the fossil fuel industry is no more valid than the argument that those people who argue that there is climate change uh, are supported by green energy and other forms of uh, new energy, plus the very obvious fact that since we live in a proto-fascist society, anybody who would be against climate change uh, is, is stands the possibility of losing their job, of um, being castigated by society, of being labeled a climate denier. So imagine that if someone doesn't agree with the science, which is never settled, because by definition there's no such thing as settled science, science requires the open-mindedness that something may change or something that you don't know uh, exists may change the science. Consequently, the notion that settled science is, is ludicrous. Um, Many things have been considered settled science. Um, Galileo was once considered a heretic because it was settled science that the earth was, that the universe was geocentric, 
uh, long came Galileo. Other people have come along with things like uh, claiming that um, that uh, ulcers were the result of um, the result of, uh, of tension and traumas, and then along came somebody and proved that it's not true. Uh, as recently as 2011, the winner of the Nobel Peace the Nobel sorry not the Peace Prize the Nobel Prize for Chemistry disproved uh, the notion that crystals were shaped the way scientists had believed they had been shaped until quite recently. So we know that science changes, and if science changes, one can at best say that it's a theory. How strong the evidence is mathematically, I don't know. I recently looked at an article, which I did not understand, by a Japanese mathematician. So this scientist, um, who had a uh, PhD from MIT, and worked at Goddard Space Center, and had many other qualifications, as well as having uh, worked as a modeler uh, for um, the argument that there's anthropic climate change, uh, wrote in this article uh, that, uh, the, that the whole argument is specious mathematically. Like I said, I cannot address the mathematics of it, and I doubt that many of the supporters of climate change can reject this article because they just don't know enough. So what's driving this whole climate change business? I would suggest that what's driving this climate change business is a multiplicity of factors, including the fact that uh, governments uh, seek to take more control of people's lives by trying to point out to them that they need government. Since I've been young, since I've been a kid, uh, I was born in 1946, uh, I've been told that only government can solve certain problems. For example, growing up in the 50s, everyone was running around being afraid of atomic nuclear warfare, which would devastate the universe. And people would march up and down, they built bomb shelters in their basements, kids were, I, it didn't happen in my school, but in many schools, kids were taught how to hide under a desk in case of a nuclear attack. And only the government would be able to save people from uh, this tragedy, this catastrophe. Uh, by the late 60s, I was hearing stuff about the population bomb. Uh, books were written about how in the relatively near future, 20 or 30 years from now, the world would be coming to an end because there wouldn't be enough resources to, uh, to feed mankind uh, because of the population explosion. I believe there was a book written by a guy called Paul Ehrlich called The Population Explosion or a Population Bomb, which is a bestseller. They, people, their movies were made, documentaries were made about the Malthusian consequences of uh, population growth and how the government's got to do something to stop it. And indeed, in some jurisdictions, the government did take steps to discourage uh, natal expansion. But ultimately, it was felt that only the power of the government can stop uh, the world from being doomed. By the 1990s, I remember reading the New York Times, which at that time, ashamedly, I have to admit, 
that I took seriously, not knowing what the New York Times would become. I only stopped when their um, their ten best their bestseller section somehow they never included books by conservative authors, even though numerically these were the best-selling books. And I realized that the whole New York Times is a sham in the first place. So the New York Times used to run stories about how we're entering a period of global cooling. Naturally, the New York Times being an authoritative voice, I decided that I would take the steps necessary to protect myself against global cooling. So I went out and I bought long johns made out of wool, which were itchy, and I hated wearing long johns from my childhood on. I did everything I could not to. And here I am now buying a pair of woolly long johns to protect myself from global cooling. I bought jacket, I bought foil gloves, I bought earmuffs, I bought a scarf. And by the time I finished paying off my credit card, I was told that it's not global cooling that I have to worry about, but it's global warming. After a few years of global warming not actually happening, and in fact uh, coming to a pause for a certain amount of time, they decided to tell us that no, it's not global warming, it's climate change that we have to worry about. And the fear just keeps getting driven, and we're told that uh, unless the government steps in, we're all doomed to perdition and we're going to die. If you think about it, much of uh, what motivates liberals to act is fear. Fear of some kind of harm to themselves. So, for example, although many liberals will never be in a position where they need to have an abortion, they still support abortion on demand with no restrictions very often uh, because one day they may need an abortion and they want to avoid having a child that is unwanted. Uh, also, uh, cigarette smoking uh, is a big deal. I know that the science has proven that it's wrong. But if you have conversations about the morality of cigarette smoking, you'll find that liberals generally tend to believe that cigarette smoking is morally worse than cheating. Uh, this is an absurd position. Uh, but again, it indicates that, that what concerns liberals is uh, harm that'll come to themselves. Gun control. And many other things, again, they're afraid of the gun. They're afraid something's going to happen to them. Someone's going to shoot them. There's enough laws on the books that would uh, prevent all, many of the, of the mass shootings that take place if only proper procedure was followed by the very government that seeks to expand its power. Mark Stein, in his book After America, made an extremely interesting point when he said that Mao Zedong and Hitler and Stalin are sitting in heaven and they're full of chagrin for having demanded that their societies change uh, communist or Nazi uh, when all they could have done, they could have achieved the same level of control as they had over society 
<clears throat> just by introducing climate change. The Torah tells us that uh, be fruitful and multiply, uh, fill the earth, urdu, that's the Hebrew word for conquer it. Now, uh, I used to have a colleague by the name of Rabbi Vilk, and he used to ask the question, to what extent are human beings able to conquer the earth? What, what is permitted, what is not permitted? To what extent can human beings play God? And Rabbi Vilk answered that the limits are that, that which is ethical. So what are the ethical behaviors? What are the ethical things that limit the kind of use of Earth's resources that human beings can use? How many, what suffering will take place if you implement liberal approaches to, uh, to climate change. You're going to destroy the fossil fuel industry within a very short time. These, uh, the people who are employed will not have skills to go into any other industry. Uh, Bernie Sanders talks about having a civilian conservation course, which Norman Thomas, who is the probably the father of American socialism, called just another form of forced labor. These people are going to be caulking windows and retrofitting houses. And according to Bernie Sanders, it will be 20 million of them, and they'll be paid by taxes, income taxes that these people generate. Now, do you honestly believe that somebody who caulks windows and does other minor labor things should be getting paid as much as a highly skilled person who works on oil rigs. I don't think so. When we talk about um, gas taxes and we talk about that, the most disproportionately affected people are the poor. Uh, the vegetables cost more, and despite the fact that our good friend Mr. Trudeau, okay, Justin, not Pierre, says that the money is rebated. It's not true. First of all, the 13% gas tax, I'm sorry, GST is not rebated. And number two, while you might be getting rebate on the expense that you pay for the gas itself, you're not getting rebate for the vegetable prices that have gone up, the clothing prices that have gone up, and many of the other costs that have gone up. Who bears the greatest proportion of this? The poor. Is that, is that an ethical response? The people that advocate uh, climate change are generally people who aren't going to change their behaviors. All the models, all the newspaper uh, people, all the politicians, all the, in, the, the Hollywood people, uh, the royalty like Meghan Markle uh, who preach our uh, global climate change and, and awareness of it are as phony as Al Gore. Al Gore's heating costs for his house used, I'm sorry, not the cost, the energy use for the heating his house were about 23 times higher than the average American. Uh, now, you're going to tell me he bought carbon offsets. Well, he can afford to buy carbon offsets. Should he be entitled to live like that? Should anybody be entitled to live like that? If you're going to impose restrictions, they should be done as equally, as equitably as possible. 
So, for example, let's pass a rule that er nobody, that means nobody, except maybe the ruler of a country, should be allowed to live in a house that's more than 1,200 square feet. Let's say pass rule against divorce, because divorce means two households. Two households means greater carbon footprints. The New York Times uh, was busy blathering about how air conditioning is harmful to the environment. What about the New York Times' own building? Do they use air conditioning? I would suggest that they do. Right? How much hypocrisy is involved in uh, advocating for control of resources which would diminish the lifestyle, the um, standard of living for millions and millions of people. Judaism contains a law called baltashkes. One is, is not supposed to waste things needlessly or uselessly. I think that if you start making judgments about what has to change, I think it's necessary to analyze what's useful and what's not useful. Um, do, do people need to fly to Cuba? Okay, maybe no one should go on vacation because A, you're supporting a communist government that oppresses people, and B, you're wasting fuel that could be diverted to industry or some other uh, thing that, that's more useful to the general well-being of the community. So maybe what we need to do is we have to reallocate resources. Nobody should be allowed to drive to an NBA game, okay? Number one, you're supporting repression. Number two, you're using fossil fuels. Maybe everyone should either sit at home and watch the NBA game on pay-per-view, and you take the fossil fuel that's not being used, and you allocate it to something that's necessary, something that's valuable for the general benefit of society. And like this, you, one will be able to, to fulfill the commandment of not wasting things. Are we really ready to say, let's end fossil fuel? Without fossil fuels, we cannot maintain the lifestyle that we have. Now, when I say that we, lifestyle that we have, I'm not talking about the super rich. I'm talking about the average person, of which there are many, as opposed to the, to the elites. Let's create a system where the, where the, the average person can benefit from realistic allocation of uh, resources, and the uh, elites would reduce their consumption to the level of the average person, and like that, you'll have a lot more. Of, you'll you'll do you'll do a lot of conservation, and you'll have a lot less wastage. Maybe you should kill all your dogs. Dogs consume thirteen percent of all meat. All right, so meat has to, cattle have to be grown. So maybe we shouldn't allow dogs because they eat meat. The meat has to be grown. They contribute to climate change. No one needs a dog, okay? All right, yes, there are people that need therapy dogs. But other than people who need therapy dogs or blind people who need seeing eye dogs, no one actually needs a dog. So maybe 
that's one way in which we can reduce the amount of fossil fuel. You want to be serious about it? Let's get practical and let's maximize the efficiency that benefits most people most of the time, sort of a utilitarian notion, which remember, okay, under certain circumstances, utilitarianism is the most ethical approach in Judaism. Under other circumstances, it's not ethical. Let's take a look at it and see. Let's, let's, let's be utilitarian about the distribution of fuel use. If you can talk about distribution of wealth, I don't see why you can't talk about distribution of fuel. And those are some of my initial thoughts on climate change. Uh, my name again is Chaim Klein. This is The Right Jew, and thank you for listening.